Hey friends, this is Shadima, also known as the Type A Hippie, and this is the Type A Hippie Podcast, Cheatcast episode 67. So this is the seventh episode of the Survivor Series arc, and I put out a call to survivors, and I allowed people to define that for what they wanted it to mean. Um, I did give some loose interpretation, but essentially I said, if you are a survivor, please reach out to me. And Marcy Valle did. And she and I go way back, maybe six years or so. Um, We are both into yoga, hot yoga in particular, and met when I lived in Las Vegas. And so I just wanted to welcome you, Marcy, to the podcast. Thank you so much. I'm really, really glad that you're here. So why don't you let listeners know how amazing you are in your own words briefly before we get into your story. (laughs) Um, I'm a mom. Uh, I'm a single mom of two little ones. So that's my biggest job. And, you know, right now is to, to raise them. Um, I also work for a really awesome energy company. Um, and in my free time, I'm still doing yoga at home. I do some advocacy. I help with a couple nonprofits and that usually fills up my days. I love that. So when I sent out the, the post or when I posted on social media, what made you respond and tell us a little bit about your story? Um, probably part of the advocacy work that I do. I feel like if you have gone through certain things, the best thing you can do is like lend a hand or let other people know that they're not alone. Um, and for me, speaking out is also kind of a form of healing. There's a point at time in which you can't go places and you can't talk about things that happen. Um, I'm getting really much past that. And I find that, that a lot of times I get messages directly through either writings that I've done or through things that I post on my own Facebook of people saying thank you so much for saying that I don't feel so alone and that's part of the reason that I that I reached out very cool yeah there is something really powerful I feel in me too you know having hearing that from others so that people know that they're not alone so mm-hmm. what happened for you or what um what took place from which you need to heal? Um, I've been a victim of sexual violence. I've been, and that was when I was young, when I was about 14, 15. Um, I've been a victim of domestic violence of many forms, both physical, um, emotional, psychological. Um, and I have also survived what I would say is my own addiction to people, places, and things, and my relationships with addicts who tended to be addicted to substances. So all of that made for a really long stream of years where I just lived in trauma, really, you know, from this, like, um, dysfunctional family beginnings to the time that I was done and just wanted to die. Um, spanning probably, you know, 33 years of that, 15 of that being my own, um, my own creation of those situations. Sure. And so can you, if you feel comfortable, um, 
go into kind of the start, I guess, and what has been able to come from it in terms of healing for you? Yeah. Um, I, you know, as with anything, I, I trace things back to family of origin. I, and I have to say, I have a good relationship with my dad now, and I'm healing the relationship with my mom. We're still um, sure. in some stages of, you know, boundaries and separation and things like that. But um, when I was growing up, I grew up with parents who were doing the best they could with what they had, but what they had was very limited. My dad grew up in a very, very, very um, like sterile household. There was no love. Everything was harsh. And he made a lot of himself, but that brought to us, you know, the lack of acceptance. Like I didn't have an acceptance with my dad. Um, there was anger issues, there was addiction issues, and my mom was the child of two alcoholics. So her idea of reality, if, if my dad wasn't beating her, that was a great thing. You know, if we had food on the table, that was a great thing. So um, I didn't even see or recognize these things as dysfunction, but that's really where reality works itself, I find. It's in the, in the younger years and what we can accept as normal. And what we, or what I ended up trying to unconsciously find in other people. So when I started to go for my own partners in life, um, you know, the first guy I picked, even my parents were like, are you sure you want to do this? And, sure. you know, like right down there. And I mean, I was 17, 18 at that point when I, um, we're in the car one time and he was mad about something and he was driving the car, speeding it up towards a wall, just threatening to kill both of us. Um, you know, I couldn't wear makeup because he was upset about me wearing makeup. Um, I couldn't go anywhere without him being there or knowing. And so that's that cycle of control and abuse that just that that started there. And, um, you know, went from that relationship to my ex-husband who for all intents and purposes, is a productive member of society. And he, again, does the best that he can with what he has, but being the victim of a very violent upbringing, um, there was a lot of emotional and psychological abuse in that relationship with me. And oddly enough, I find that the psychological and the emotional abuse are the hardest to overcome. The physical violence, I can get past a lot more, you know, having been raped at 14, 15, I dealt with that. And I, um, and I've no longer have panic attacks. I no longer have triggers for PTSD. Sure. Uh, there's still things I avoid, but the emotional and the psychological abuse that I survived with my ex-husband for several years, that's still, that is still something that I deal with sure. every day. Um, maybe because we have kids together too, but you know, I, I, I made it through that and still unknowing that it was partially what I was attracted to or things that I was just unconsciously bringing into my life. I, um, got divorced and I tried rebuilding my life and I got to a better place. And when I decided it, I was open to a relationship, I went right back into the same dynamics and every time it was worse, you know, every time it was there was more trouble. So by the time that um, I finally would say started to become conscious, I'd been in a relationship with someone who um, was a heavy gambler, a drug addict, an alcoholic, 
um, just compulsive in almost every way you can, violent towards me. There was no peace. Um, every day was just another tragedy waiting to happen. The police were getting called. Um, it was just nonstop drama. And I woke up one day and I wanted to throw myself out a window because I was just done. I was tired. I couldn't take it anymore. Sure. Um, and, you know, I sat there thinking, like, if this is life, I don't, I don't want it. But that was my exact thought as I opened my eyes that day and I looked over at the window and I was like I could just throw myself out of it Mm -hmm. but you know I um gave it a day and in the haze and the fog because it all gets very foggy in that state um a couple more days went by and we were coming home probably at like six or seven in the morning the sun was coming up um I'd been probably out, but I I can't even remember where we were. Usually I ended up babysitting him somewhere, but you know, we were coming home and I was walking, feeling the same way. And I heard a voice or something inside me whisper, you know, don't end it. I love you. And it kind of snapped me out of it. And I was like, whoa, like, where did that come from? Like, you know, what, what was that? Like, I'm not, and at that point wasn't really practicing any religion I was trying to just survive from one day to the next and um you know I uh could have been killed so many times especially during those last few years just by situations that we were put in that I put myself in with him um and you know I I went from that to being like that's it I'm done and I said I'm done I'm leaving and he said okay let me try treatment and I said all right let me find a therapist and I did and um he started going to therapy things were getting worse for us uh together which you know now is now that I know that's what happened um so I went to therapy after that just to kind of see if we could keep things together and they fell apart. They really did. But I stuck with my therapist, um, same guy, you know, I'd found for him and I started doing, um, codependence work and I started doing work for families of, um, and children of alcoholics. And I, um, started rebuilding my life from scratch, really from that point on, really looking at the hard things and, learning how to raise myself and how to completely become different. And that's really kind of where I feel like I became a a survivor. I love that. Um, So you mentioned PTSD and triggers. Can you kind of touch on those uh, quickly for listeners in terms of maybe the types of things that used to be triggers for you that are no longer triggers for you. Okay. Um, I was at my place of work one time and a um, plumber, electrician, so a work guy came to fix something and everybody was out at meetings or at lunch or whatever. And I'm sitting at my desk and this guy comes up to tell me something and I lost it. I answered him what he needed, um, and then I ran out the building, and I was shaking and crying and managed to call um, someone and talk to them, but I got flashbacks of being raped, 
and I felt threatened by a man coming up to me um, like that. And so I called my boss and I said, I can't stay. I'm going home. I'm leaving. And he's like, what do you mean? What happened? And I was like, I can't, I can't even go there. I'm just, you know, I'm done. So I, um, I left work that day and, um, had to just kind of pause myself or I would wake up in the middle of the night and I would want to stay up with a weapon facing the door just in case somebody would come in. And I would kind of have to snap myself out of it and be like, this is not realistic. I can't do this all the time. Um, I can't stay up all night every night. And I don't have that. I don't have random anxiety attacks. I've had to pull, um, you know, on the side of the road and just, and sometimes not even know why something must have triggered me and I couldn't place it, but I would just have a panic attack. Um, that's more on, I guess the, the triggers that I would say, there's certain things I still don't watch, um, on TV or things that I don't read. But as far as PTSD, I think that's still, for me, it's still an ongoing thing. Mm-hmm. And I define that as those like intrusive thoughts. So I'll be taking my children to school and all of a sudden I'll be thinking back to something that happened with my ex-husband, an argument, a put down, uh, you know, you're like something and it will just start roll. And it's like a snowball very quickly. It can get big and it can take over my uh, next half hour, my hour, my day sometimes if mm-hmm. I'm not careful. So I have to snap myself back into reality um, several times a day still, I would say. Uh, but, you know, um, I'm still working on that. As long as I get out, you know, if I fall down a thousand times, I get up a thousand and one, then everything's fine. Um, and I find that I'm trying, I'm, I'm starting to stop those sooner, definitely sooner than I used to if I look back a couple of years. But that's, mm-hmm. that's reality. Sure. Yeah, you started um, during the pre-call, you were talking about kind of connecting with reality when your mind has gotten away from you, mm-hmm. or an experience or a trigger has gotten away. Um, and just wanted to have you share with us kind of what you do to connect with reality. Like, what does that look like for you? Or what's that um. That for me is right now a lot of taking a deep breath and telling myself, that's not real. You're here. This is real and you're safe. Sure. And, you know, like that's one of the ones that I've been using a lot. Um, get out, 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 get out. It's, it's another one where I just need to uh, kind of like almost put static over what's going on in my head and stop it, whatever I can do to stop it. Um, and then, you know, move out from there. But that's, I got that real thing really from, um, from the hunger games where Pete is asking there, he's, you know, they're telling him, Annie asks, is this real? And then someone will tell her whether it happened or it didn't happen. And I like to think now about things that are no longer here as no longer real. That's the past. It doesn't exist anymore. So I'm right now I'm here and I'm safe. And none of those situations that my head's bringing up are really happening. Sure. So true. Um, so what do you do for self-care? How do you self-care? Oh, um, when I first started to work on a lot of this, I 
could only work on breathing. I spent months just practicing deep breathing because I had gotten so used to holding everything, like everything was going to fall out that I didn't know how to breathe. And, you know, again, I would go to my therapist who's very yoga based. He actually, one of the first things he did was said, take this uh, meditation and do it every day. And it's a 15 minute free meditation app. And I was like, okay, whatever. You know, um, I started doing that meditation and then I started working on that breathing and that's all I did for months. And I would say, but all I can do is breathe. And he's like, isn't that wonderful? And I'm like, okay, whatever. And you know, but now that um, it's been really almost two years of active, active work that I've been doing on myself. um, Self-care looks like making sure that I meditate three or four times a week, making sure that I, um, I'm having enough sleep, making sure that I'm taking time to myself and that I recognize what my reactions are. So now I know if I'm getting too tired or too hungry, I will start to get more rattled. Um, If I'm trying to do too many things at once, like there's just simple, simple things that I've learned that keep me a lot more calm and mellow. And, you know, again, going back a couple of years, I quit worrying about what I ate because as a teen I kind of try to control my world by my eating habits too so I went through a period of like anorexia and you know bulimia and like self-harm and I've tried trust me there's a self-harming tool out there I've probably used it at some point um but I cut all of that out and I just focused on eating three times a day and that was it if I could feed myself instead of starve myself or overeat I just had to eat three times a day so there was definitely steps to the process where now I'm trying to go back to healthy eating habits. I'm reincorporating just now, and this is you know two year mark, like more um, more yoga because part of my therapy was to stay still, to take away a lot of things and just learn to be and deal with what came up. Awesome. So good. So I feel like we're getting towards the end. Um, Is there anything that you feel listeners would benefit from hearing from you before we move on to humans of New York? Um, I think one of the hardest things for me was really to reach out for help. Sure. And I did that not only by finding someone to work with one-on-one, but there are groups out there that I, you know, I'm in program more than one um, to be able to, to put, to have a healthier life really. And so 12 step work has been a big, big, big part of um, my healing. And yet walking into those rooms can be huge and intimidating. And I would love to see a day in which there is no shame in sharing that you're a 12-stepper of whatever program you're in, that, you know, we all have our lessons and I am no less guilty of my part in the relationships that I had. Um, My addiction was just the person really versus the substance. But, um, you know, I think that that's one thing that I would encourage people is look, because by the time I came to it, I was like, wow, this exists. I wish somebody, you know, I wish I would have known. Um, Mm -hmm. but we all come to it when we're, when we're ready. And I'd say reach out for help. 
Totally. Yeah, no. And I, and the thing is, um, I was talking with a friend and she said, she was talking to another friend and that friend said, well, why didn't you tell me? And then she said, or asked, well, would you have heard me? You know? And mm-hmm. the truth is, is that, you know, we are ready when we're ready. Not one ounce of truth will penetrate until someone is ready. And I agree that, mm-hmm. you know, one of the reasons I do this podcast and felt called and compelled to speak up and speak out was to smash stigma specifically around substance use disorder. So alcoholism addiction, um, even process addictions around um, domestic violence and sexual assault and around mental Mm -hmm. illness, um, because there seems to still be significant stigma around those particular kind of buckets, if you will. And there's a lot of overlap in those. Um, Yes. And so I'm so glad that you were able to find recovery and that you found a path of recovery that works for you. Um, Some healing that is working for you because when we heal on my voicemail, anyone who calls, hears me say, nurture yourself because those around you benefit. And when you start Mm -hmm. to experience healing, your little people, your children start to experience healing Mm -hmm. too because they have a different mother. Um, And I'm not suggesting do it for them. Don't do it for them. I'm just glad that you got there to the healing, but I do know that they get to experience a new relationship with you because you're different because of the process. And so I'm so glad that you messaged me and were brave enough to come on and share your story. So thank you so much for being on. So I'm so glad that you came on and you were brave and you, you shared uh, your, your story. So thank you so much, Marcy. No, thank you. I, you know, I, I hope that I was um, able to share honestly. And I think in a, in, in an awesome way for me, a lot of this comes out without a lot of trauma feelings now. Um, But I, you know, I, I definitely feel for people who are going through it and, um, and for those of us who have been. So, hooray. Thank you. So I found a story for humans of New York. Um, and it looks like a mother and daughter. And she said, I'm trying to undo old patterns. If she does something, speaking of the daughter, that was prohibited in my own childhood, I automatically react. It comes from inside of me. So if we need to go somewhere and she's resisting and I feel like yelling, I'll turn it into a game. I'll be the mother cat and she'll be the kitten. Or we'll both be princesses going on an adventure. Honestly, I think the pretending helps me more than it helps her. It's what forces (laughs) me out of those patterns. And so this is a mother-daughter in Moscow, Russia. So we are all very related. So friends, thank you so much for being here and listening, for supporting, subscribing, liking, uh, commenting, reviewing this podcast. I really, really appreciate it. 
You are listening to the Type A Hippie podcast, GCAST episode 67. I honor the place within you where the entire universe resides. I honor the place within you of love, of light, of truth, of peace. I honor the place within you where when you are in that place in you and I am in that place in me, there is only one of us. May you have a gratitude-filled day. My name is Chidima, also known as the Type A Hippie. Namaste.